You're listening to Prosperity Ag Out Loud with host Michelle Baker. This podcast is for anyone who loves crop production and the people within our industry. We'll be sharing experiences and expertise on a wide range of topics with individuals from across the province and discussing areas that we can improve within the industry. I hope that you find a piece of information or a contact that helps you in your own agricultural journey. Welcome again to Prosperity Ag Out Loud. Today, I am so excited to introduce you all to Courtney Vreens. Courtney is a ruminant nutritionist and the owner of Vreens Nutrition Consulting. What is really cool and exciting about Courtney and what she does is that the majority of her work is actually with sheep and she was able to carve out a niche market for herself and begin her own business at only 25 years of age. Courtney is also one of my closest friends and I'm so proud of her and I know that I'm going to learn a lot from her today and I'm sure that all of you will as well. So thank you, Courtney, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Why don't you first start off by letting folks know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and just talk a little bit about your business. Yeah, so as Michelle said, I am a ruminant nutritionist and I operate my own business, Breen's Nutrition Consulting. So at this moment, I'm specializing in sheep. I do both dairy and commercial sheep, and I also still do some dairy cows. Um, So I studied agriculture at the University of Guelph, and when I graduated, I um, had several jobs in agriculture doing nutrition, Um, and it was just um, almost a year now that I went off on my own to pursue my own business um, doing doing mostly sheep. That is so cool. I often think it's really interesting just the different paths that we end up taking in life. Um, So I want to start off this interview just dissecting you a little bit because I think it's really cool what you've been able to achieve and I think that people can learn a lot from you about the process of starting your own business and then we're going to talk on the latter half of this interview um, about ruminant nutrition and a little bit how it affects us in the crop production world. So some questions to start off with for you. You know, you mentioned you'd had several jobs. Um, and I think I know you well enough to say that 10 years ago, I don't think you would have expected, you know, that you'd own your own ruminant consulting business at, you know, the age of 26 now. Um, so what are some of the biggest factors that have led you to this point in your career? Yeah, so definitely my jobs leading up to owning my business really kind of helped kickstart my career. Um, I had great opportunities working with both Master Feeds and Wallenstein before I started my own business. And both of these companies definitely taught me a lot about nutrition um, and of course about the industry. But I would say more importantly, they taught me a lot about myself and um, the things that I was good at and the things that I wanted to do. So I guess it took some time to familiarize myself with the industry, um, but it wasn't long before I kind of started to identify the aspects of the career that I really liked and um, the parts that I was good at. So um, it was kind of then finding my love for sheep that really was the turning point that shaped my career. It kind of let me know, I guess, that I was on the right path. So I kind of saw that opportunity um, 
and I, I saw that I was able to make a difference in this industry and I kind of just went for it. So I guess little by little, the amount of sheep clients I had kind of started to outweigh the, the dairy cow clients that I had. And that's kind of when I realized that that was a business that I mostly wanted to be in. And that's ultimately what kind of led me to start my own business. So that was really the area that you felt that you could make the biggest difference to the grower. Yeah, I felt that there was a lot of nutritionists that were maybe um, kind of saying, well, I do cows, so it's kind of like a small cow, so I can I can help you the best I can. But there wasn't really anybody that was taking a genuine interest in what their goals were and what they really needed to do well. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, it's kind of a niche business. And again, I just saw an opportunity to, to really help people because that's something that I really enjoy doing. And I kind of just went for it. Yeah, that's amazing. And so when you began your own business, did you feel ready? I mean, I feel like, you know, it's a big leap, leap going from a steady paycheck to working for yourself. So did you feel ready when you start started? Um, and is there anything that you wish you had known um, beforehand or wish that someone had told you before you started? Well, no, honestly, I, I didn't feel ready. I don't know if anybody would ever truly feel ready for something like that. Um, I had a very good job with Wallenstein and it was certainly scary um, thinking about leaving that good paying position that had a lot of security and a lot of resources. Um, but I guess I tried to put my emotions aside and I tried to be very logical about my decision. And I guess there was kind of three things that helped me make my decision and helped me know that this was the right thing for me to do. Um, so one, I knew that I had a very loyal clientele that I had worked hard to build all on my own and I knew that they were prepared to follow me wherever I went. So that was definitely the most important um, in making that decision. Um, two, geographically, I knew that there was lots of opportunity to grow my business even more when I was ready without having to travel or relocate. And three, even though it was really hard to be confident in that moment because there was a lot of uncertainty about leaving my my job with good security, I had to try and be really confident and know that I was good at what I did and there was a need for what I did. So I tried to keep those three things really close to my heart and really that's what helped me make the decision. Yeah, and I mean, that was obviously really, you know, forward thinking of you to be looking at the big picture of, you know, your, your trading area that you were working in close to home um, as well as, you know, the mm -hmm. clientele in the area, right? And just kind of really finding that, finding that need and, um, and going for it. So that's, I think that's really cool. Um, I was, I've been thinking about this podcast for a little while and some of the questions that I was going to ask you and just thinking back on some of the conversations that you and I have had in the past, because I know how hard you have worked to get there. And, you know, you and I have had conversations on the phone about long days of prospecting. <laughs> and I think sometimes people often, they see the end result, right? And they don't often see the hard work that goes into it. So I read this quote a little while ago, and it made me think of you. It was, the dream is free, the hustle is sold separately. And so 
talk a little bit about just some of the grind that went into building your clientele. Like talk maybe a little bit about kind of what you started with um, when you began, um, maybe at Wallenstein and kind of where you are now as far as building your clientele and what went into that. Yeah, that's a good question because I look at where I am now and I would say that you know, I'm, I'm fairly well established and comfortable with my business, but, um, it was definitely very hard and it was not an easy journey. Um, there's a lot of experienced people in the industry. So coming into this, um, green at a school, it's, it's very intimidating. It doesn't matter, you know, how much, you know, um, people kind of rely on some of those experienced elders in the industry. So I found it hard to kind of get grounded and, and really find my path. Um, I would say that just in general sales and prospecting is really tough and it's a big part of being a successful nutrition um, representative. So there was a lot of times when I definitely wanted to give up. Like we had conversations about, you know, tough days and is this the right thing for me to be in? Um, And I got told no a lot before I got told yes. Um, But it was always the high of that yes that kind of kept me going and kept me pushing. And I'm really glad I did because obviously it got to me, uh, got me where I am now. Um, So really that initial buildup of clients and prospecting and kind of finding yourself in the business is kind of the, the biggest challenge but it was also kind of the most rewarding part that led me to where I am um yeah does that answer that question yeah no for sure and um like I I think probably one thing that we maybe agree on a little bit is that I don't know like I personally find that I get a lot of validation um you know and you know, getting a prospect to say yes, not because I have the ability to sell him something, but more because now you have the opportunity to help that grower. And so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that, you know, all of us are true, um, you know, salespeople at heart. And I don't think that, you know, you are either, but sometimes you really just have to, you know, work at the things that maybe you're not as strong at to get to the place that you want to be at. So, and I think that that's something you have really exemplified. Yeah, kind of like um, about finding those opportunities to prove yourself. And it can be really hard, especially like when you ask what I started with. Well, I started with absolutely nothing. I moved from um, Durham region to Wellington County. Um, so I wasn't familiar with the area or the, the farmers here. So I really had to try hard to find those opportunities to prove myself. And, and once you find enough of those opportunities and, and you do prove yourself, you do, you do well and you, you listen to the producer and you help them reach their goals, then it becomes more rewarding because you start to get some of those referrals, um, I would say like the more, the more easy wins, but not that it, it's really easy because you've already p- kind of put the work in, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I guess now, you know, you're established in your business. So what has caused you the most growth? Like, would you say that now it is still prospecting? Is it more word of mouth? How are people um, finding out about you now? Yeah, definitely. Initially, it was all through prospecting, so literally driving up laneways, um, either going to the house or the barn, and just trying really hard to kind of seek out those opportunities. Um, 
but now I'm lucky to be in a position where I'm getting more referrals um, from whether like my existing clients or even through word of mouth or social media, um, doing these kinds of things can kind of circulate your name a little bit too. So um, the hard work early on definitely did pay off because I'm in a comfortable position now, but it really took me a good four years of hustling, you know, with both master feeds and Wallenstein before I felt like I was in a good, comfortable place. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, yeah, it's got to be definitely rewarding to see that paying off now. And I mean, just pretty cool, you know, that you have growers that you've been able to help and they see enough value in you to uh, refer you on to, you know, other people that they trust and respect too. So that's pretty cool. So now, you know, that you've had your own business up and running for a little while, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced since starting your own business or what have, what have been maybe some of the bigger things that you've had to learn? Um, this is a tough question because honestly, I feel like I put um, a lot of the hard work in, I guess, kind of before um, I started my own business, not to say it, it was easy, but um, I kind of already had all those pieces lined up. So I can speak, I guess, a bit more again to before starting my business. Um, but kind of just getting through that initial hump of feeling like you're not needed. Um, there's no place for you in the industry. Um, kind of being able to handle all those no's, no, sorry, we don't need you. No, sorry, we're happy with what we're doing. Um, and kind of just sourcing out, okay, well then where, where am I needed? Um, and where does it make sense for me to be? So finding that was hard because my heart was kind of always, well, I always thought it was kind of set in dairy cows cause that's kind of what I grew up around. But, um, finding that sheep, it was almost like that, aha moment for me like this is where I need to be so kind of had to turn directions a little bit and obviously I had a lot to learn about the business I wasn't um, prepared to just walk onto those farms and like make them think that I knew something about sheep I really wanted to have something really good to offer them so I worked hard um, and of course all my experience in ruminant nutrition was was already shaping that but there was still a lot to learn about the industry so kind of that hustle and finding that that place and then going through all that prospecting and um, I guess even just a lot of people maybe not not wanting to see you good do well or not thinking you're going to do well on something was a little bit hard but once I had my clientele established it was it was actually quite easy to make the transition to my own business. That's good. And so, so you go from, you know, more of a background in dairy, you've learned the sheep side of things in a relatively short time. And now you've got your own business where, you know, people are, are paying you for your services, right? And you are the expert. So um, obviously, that's been a big learning curve for you. So where do you go when you don't have all the answers? Like, have you found some people that you've been able to lean on a bit? Or are you doing just a lot of self-learning from research that's been done, you know, in other parts of the world? Um, what are some of the resources that you're using now? Yeah, that's a good question because I do feel that the industry is very much, you know, applying to what we know about cows or even what we know about goats in some cases. So um, it's trying to really um, 
search out for that information that's truly specific to the species and it's not always available so um, honestly a little bit of it is trial and error like um, we want that extra half a liter of milk well what is it going to take on farm for us to accomplish that and it's a little bit of working with the producer to you know improve feed quality improve feeding management um, and seeing kind of how far we can push them keeping the animal health in mind so um, also doing a lot of self-educating of course through research everything's very accessible through the internet um, some of my resources would be um, vets and omafra for sure but um, some of these specifics about feeding sheep just aren't available so a lot of it I've kind of taken what I've learned from dairy cows um, and I've kind of seen how far I can I can push the limits or or maybe not push the limits in certain areas to reach a certain goal yeah, so I mean, it sounds like really, um, you know, you're doing a lot of research on your own that maybe hasn't necessarily been done before, right? So I mean, I think for, you know, a lot of producers in the province, you may actually be a phenomenal resource that they, you know, didn't necessarily know was available. But I think that that's awesome that, you know, you're kind of pushing the status quo with your producers just to try and increase production, um, you know, and, and increase performance on farms. So that's awesome to hear. Mm -hmm. I should probably stop pestering you with questions about yourself and let you talk about your favorite thing. <laughs> so <laughs> why don't we dive into the nutrition side of things? And um, I mentioned to you beforehand, probably the bulk of the listeners on this podcast um, are predominantly involved in you know, crop production, but I have to imagine there's going to be a ton of livestock producers listening as well. So I wanted to gear this conversation, um, you know, a little bit high level as far as the nutrition goes and focus on the crop side a little bit, just so at least I sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but let's start with just, you know, tell me what your day looks like as a nutritionist and how that changes seasonally. Yeah, so... My day is always different. <laughs> um, in a given day, I'm either making farm calls or I'm working in my home office um, or a combination of the two, of course. So um, some days I definitely don't leave my office. I'm balancing rations all day. I'm kind of in the zone and just getting it done. And other days I'm on the road all day. Um, so usually that means I'm taking feed samples and um, having a meeting with my producers just to kind of check in and make sure everything's going good. So on farm, I'm, you know, assessing things like animal health and body condition. I'm observing their feeding management to kind of see if what they're telling me is happening is actually happening. Um, and then my home office, I'm going to be analyzing feed samples that come back from the lab, updating rations, like I said. Uh, researching is something I spend quite a bit of time doing. Um, return over feed costs is something I spend a lot of time on as well for my dairy sheep producers. Uh, doing my bookkeeping and sending invoices, all those things keep me really busy. Um, and when crops are coming off, that's certainly the season that I'm the most busy in because that means there's a lot of ration changes coming all at once, um, especially when everyone is short on feed and is needing to switch to first cut almost immediately after harvest. So that's going to keep me really busy here in the next few weeks. Um, so through the summer, there's there's a lot of routine forage changes. Like, I mean, we go first cut to second cut and then 
back to first cut and then to third cut and then it's kind of always moving around and then we get new corn silage so I'm pretty busy until kind of come winter time and then things become more stable for me yeah that's uh it sounds a lot like crop production in a way (laughs) yeah um so how often so looking at like a typical milking sheep herd how often in a year would you be you know balancing different rations for one farm Ooh, for the dairy sheep on average um it's hard because there's there's so many changes, even just dry matter intake adjustments, meaning they call me and say, hey, nothing nothing's really changed to my knowledge, but the sheep are eating less. So that means me, um, you know, stepping down the dry matter intake to make sure that we're still meeting requirements. Um, so I, I do a lot of that. Um, and then, of course, you have the routine forage changes. Like I, I would account for at least once a month I'm updating rations for a producer. Um, like I said, sometimes in the winter, things are more stable, so I might not do anything for a couple months. But in the summer, there's times where I update them twice a month. So um, I would say an average of, you know, 12 to 15 ration updates a year. Yeah, that's quite a lot, like probably honestly more than I would have expected. Excuse me. Well, and and when I say 12, I mean, that's like the farm. So each farm, you know, would have, you know, lactating, late pregnancy, dry, um, a lot of my dairy sheep clients would do a ration for the fresh sheep and then a ration for the stale sheep. So when I say that, I mean, you know, times, times four or five usually. So for each farm. Yeah, no, that's quite a few. So you've got, you know, 12 to 15 different rations happening per farm. And now I can imagine because I mean, I work with more of like the dairy cattle producers, but um, everyone has their own preferences on what they're feeding, right? And what their program's looking like. So talk a little bit about how feed ingredients change from farm to farm and maybe just some of like the more common practices that you're starting to see in um, in the crops that are being grown for sheep nutrition. So kind of the staple crops for the sheep business in general would be um, corn silage and some sort of haylage, whether it's... Um, alfalfa or grass I would say typically they're more um, alfalfa based especially for the dairy sheep um, so those would be trip um, those would be typical and then for concentrate ingredients they're they're likely feeding uh, dry corn that they're growing themselves on farm or perhaps high moisture corn um, cob meal is definitely more um, more seen in the commercial sheep side so the the meat sheep industry um, so, and then they're usually, you know, purchasing their own proteins, not typical that they're growing um, like their own soybeans for, for use on farm. Um, so definitely alfalfa and corn silage would be the, the two forages that I work with most commonly. Um, more recently in the commercial sheep side, um, we're seeing a lot more variety, um, just trying to kind of maximize um forage and profit margins since things are definitely a little bit tighter in that business. So I'm working a lot more with crops like triticale and sorghum, um, rye. Those kinds of crops can have a really good place in the commercial industry. Um, I don't like them as much for the dairy sheep industry. Yeah, I've recently started working with some, um, you know, with some dairy producers that are 
uh, growing them predominantly for their dry cows and you know obviously quality is not quite as good but just I think especially when you're trying to um, maximize production off of limited acres you know you almost get into some mm -hmm. scenarios where you can do some double cropping too so like you said if you're on tighter margins then that definitely seems like a good option um, so a lot of the crops are very similar obviously and feed ingredients are very similar between sheep and what we're typically used to for dairy cattle um, but how do some of the feeding requirements differ and how would some of your rations differ between those two animals? Well, sheep are not little cows, despite of what some people like to say when they're out and about <laughs> in the countryside. So they're their own species. So my ration balancing program is specific to sheep. You know, it's not a cow program divided by 10. Um, so their requirements are, are totally different um, in their own. Um, the big thing I think to to keep in mind is that they're such a small animal. So the amount that they're eating um, is, is obviously very small in relation to a cow. So in order to get these big results that these producers want, um, the feed quality has to be superior. And I mean, it needs to be superior for dairy cows as well. But these sheep, if we get an average quality forage, they just simply cannot consume enough of it to be able to produce well. So um, something I definitely stress with my my producers and growers is that you have to be making top quality forage. Like we simply just cannot afford to try and make milk off of an average quality feed. Um, and I think like if we're comparing apples to apples, dairy sheep and dairy cows, um, the outcome or the end goal for their milk is, is different. So dairy sheep would be getting paid based on their milk protein content and dairy cows would be getting um, paid based on their butter fat content. So totally different um, strategies nutritionally to accomplish that. So um, very different in my rations in that sense. So that's interesting. And I actually, I did not know that. See, I told you I was going to learn something today. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't want you to dive too much into your nutrition program per se, but just, so how, like, how do we target protein in the milk versus butter fat? Like what's one way that we can work to accomplish that? So for butter fat, like I'll just talk in very simple terms here, but it's really um, um, really driven by fiber in the ration. So by ruminating, um, they're both rum ruminants, so they are designed to ruminate, but it's really that butter fat that's going to be driven from, you know, chewing that fiber and having a really healthy rumen. So that's really like the, the ADF and the NDF in, in the actual plant. So the opposite is true for sheep. So um we don't want to, not that we, we're not going to feed fiber. Of course, they need fiber, they're ruminants, but we can almost push them a little bit harder because we're not concerned about getting that butter fat production from that fiber. Um, keeping in mind always animal health, but we can definitely maybe push our concentrates um, a little bit higher. Really, it's the starch that's going to drive the milk protein. So that's something that would look very different in my rations. Um, and of course, for both, it's they want them they want the production so really coming from having a balanced ration but there is quite a few differences just between those two and what the end the end product would look like yeah absolutely so i mean obviously in both situations like um like haylage and corn silage management are super important but it sounds like it is definitely something that needs to be stressed maybe even a little bit more 
um, on the sheep side of things. Is that something, you know, like are your growers, um, are they accustomed to that? Is that something that you've really had to reinforce with them, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, appropriate cutting time in managing those crops? How do you think that they, like, uh, like what kind of a job do you think they do at managing those crops? Yeah, I think that it only takes one bad year of having an average quality crop in the silo that you have no choice but to feed um, for them to realize how important it is because, you know, I can tell them all day long um, how crucial it is. And it's not that they don't listen, but there's a lot of factors, you know, of course, like even the weather, but, um, you know, maybe you should have Mm -hmm. reseeded your field two years ago and, you would have seen that extra advantage. So sometimes it just takes, you know, seeing their production maybe slip a little bit when they went onto that average crop, because I, I can only do so much. Like um, I can improve a lot of things to a, to a point, but I can't fix poor quality forage. So um, it's a question I get all the time. Like when should I harvest my crop? Um, so that they care, but things don't always line up, I guess. And I think they, they have a rough year and, they try really hard for it not to happen again. Yep. And like you say, you're right. Like sometimes you can only say so much, but, um, until it it really becomes your problem in the bunk, that's usually kind of what drives change, right? Yeah. So what are some things that, like, what are some really common, um, problems or challenges that you see each year, you know, with the haylage coming in or with the corn silage and um like are there any is there any ever like recommendations that agronomists give that just frustrate the heck out of you and you wish that we understood a little (laughs) bit more about what you were trying to do in your (laughs) day-to-day um i think yeah i it's not that there's one thing in particular that i hear from agronomists i think it's more so the lack of information from the agronomists and I don't say that as a, as a bad way because I don't think it necessarily comes from, um, I think it's more comes from the producer, maybe not having that relationship with them. I'm not sure really like they can't, they don't feel like they can ask them those questions because those are questions I get. I mean, if I showed you my phone right now, cause we're getting close to first cut, it's all text about what stage again, should I be cutting my alfalfa or what am I looking for? So I don't know if it's just there they feel comfortable with me and that's where they go. But I wish that was something that um, would be more instilled in them from their agronomist, because of course you guys are way more knowledgeable about that kind of thing. And I think it would just be a little more proper coming from you. So it's definitely something I wish that they could work with their agronomist as close as they work with me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's really interesting. And it's funny you say that because, um, Drew Thompson, um, I interviewed him a little bit while ago, and obviously, you know, he's on, again, the agronomy side of things, but definitely does have an interest in nutrition, and, you know, we were just speaking to the fact that there needs to be more open communication between agronomists and nutritionists, and, um, you know, kind of all having open communication with the farmer, kind of all being on the same team rather than always working so independently. And obviously that can be a tough thing to do, but I definitely kind of see that gap that you're addressing because, you know, from from our standpoint, like I think a lot of agronomists are really fantastic um, at management 
for the cash crops and sometimes when it comes to forages i think that a lot of people know like okay so and so has a really great relationship existing with their nutritionist you know they're going to tell them when to cut they're going to help them make better forage management decisions but like you said like you're not necessarily you know an expert um when it when it actually comes to management for those crops right and so i think kind of where that gap exists is just um you know like i can go out and do a fantastic job at taking a look at alfalfa stands and kind of giving you an estimate on longevity going out doing the growth staging and uh, making recommendations on when it could be cut but maybe I don't necessarily have the knowledge on exactly what you as the nutritionist are looking for um, for that particular mm -hmm. farm. So I think probably just, yeah, like more open communication would be a good thing. And probably, um, you know, maybe more agronomists um, kind of stepping up to the plate to learn a little bit more and just making a point of being involved in those conversations. Yeah, that no, and that's, that's totally true because um, I think, yeah, like, of course, you guys are the experts on, you know, what that producer needs in that moment. But what you what you aren't as knowledgeable about is what the outcome is for that crop. Like you said earlier with um, triticale and sorghum going for dry cows. Well, that's a totally different ballpark, right? So are we cutting this alfalfa for high producing dairy sheep or are we okay with letting it get a bit mature to get that extra yield because it's going to be going to commercial use that don't quite need that same level of protein or is it going to be fed to dry sheep so those are all good questions um, to ask your growers if they're asking you about when you're harvesting okay well what is the going to be the end goal for this crop like where is it going on your farm so we can help you make a decision i hope everyone is listening to that piece right there because those are seriously questions that we need to be asking and so okay so let's do this with corn silage as well um you know in a perfect world how would you like to see that crop come off for let's give three scenarios so for say your milking sheep your dry sheep versus, um, you know, just maybe grain corn for um, a commercial herd? So that's a crop that, that you know, is, isn't going to vary a lot at harvest, actually. So it's going to be um, more so, I would say, because it, it's kind of different. Like corn silage is going to be grown and it's likely going to be fed to kind of everything on the farm. It would kind of be more the level that we feed it would be different amongst the different production groups. Um, but what I would say about corn silage would be, and this is something that I really, well, actually I've been researching it a lot lately, um, would be giving your grower the right information on the right seed to plant. So again, asking those questions um, like, and knowing something about sheep, right? Like sheep are small, we need to maximize dry matter intake. So what is the best corn silage for you? Like is BMR corn silage the best option? Can you handle having a little bit less yield or um, what conventional variety or leafy variety? Like, I mean, you know way more about this stuff, but I think it's more like the initial variety that's gonna have more of the impact. Yeah, and it's funny because all of those terms that you just used are typically not the first ones that come to mind. Now, because I'm not dealing with sheep, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. typically, you know, in a lot of dairy scenarios, it's more 
um, like guys that are leaning towards wanting to have more starch content now. And I'm not saying everybody, just maybe my experiences in particular, right? Leaning mm-hmm. towards wanting to have some more starch. And in some cases, um, you know, that field, it may come off for cob meal. It may end up, you know, the balance of it may go just for grain corn. So we end up with, you know, a little bit more of a dual purpose that's being bred to have a little bit more starch um, mm-hmm. versus what you just spoke to because you really need quality um, and probably less lignin and structure um, in what you're feeding to the sheep. And so that's an entirely different ball game altogether. So very similar to how, you know, we can't just, you know, group the dairy cows with the sheep when it comes to nutrition. We definitely can't do the same thing when it comes to seed choice either. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. And not to say, you know, the, the starch content isn't important, but I can make that up with, with dry corn or high moisture corn. I cannot make up for, again, that fiber that's that's limiting in some way. So I think I always like to start with the things I can't change, and that's always fiber digestibility, lignin content. You know, those things are what they are. Um, if I need a little more starch, I can I can add a little more dry corn or, or another um, grain in the ration. So... Um, and again, to separate the, the dairy cows and the dairy sheep, I think some of the dairy cow producers have, have gotten away from some of these highly digestible, you know, even like this um, highly digestible alfalfa that's come out with less lignin, um, because again, they're really concerned about also getting their butter fat production. So it's a touchy balance with the dairy cows, but with the sheep, um, again, we're keeping in mind rumen health and animal performance, but we don't have that same drive for butter fat and for milk production. We're really after that milk protein and the milk production. So we can get away with um, a bit lower fiber and really pushing for, for intake. Yeah, and that's it's so good to distinguish the difference between the two. And for all the agronomists that are listening right now, I think everybody just heard a lot of terms in the last 10 minutes you know, leafy varieties, BMR, low lignin alfalfa. And I can bet you that not everyone is as familiar with those products as maybe we should be just because it's not something that we maybe deal with on um, a day-to-day basis or just because we have, you know, some dairy producers that that's not the perfect fit for them. I think that we need to be really well educated um, in those products so that we run into scenarios like, you know, we're trying to make your job a little bit easier as a nutritionist, you know, that we're really knowledgeable um, on those products as well. So that is um, really interesting um, just that you brought all those up and how important they are to you um, in your role. Yeah, and just a touch before you change um, direction here, but I do have a couple dairy sheep, dairy sheep producers that grow BMR corn silage and it and it's interesting because I I would say those those farms they do very well and there's there's a lot of other factors but for me the the one thing that I'm always trying to do when I'm trying to get milk is how can I maximize dry matter intake because if they can't eat because their intake is limited they can't make milk the more they can eat the more milk they can make so having that BMR has really proven to give that little bit of an upper edge on um, getting that extra 0.2 liters of milk. We talk very small amounts in sheep. Yeah, no, it's uh, it makes sense, right? Like, I mean, to put it kind of like in a human 
perspective, I'm going to do a terrible analogy here, but it's like, you know, someone taking like a, a protein supplement in their shake, right? So that they don't have to go any to steak for all the exercise that they're going to do in a day, right? Yep. Like it's packing as much punch as you can, um, you know, into the crop that you're working with, basically. Yeah. I told you it would be a terrible analogy. <laughs> no, but, but it's, yeah, it's exactly true. I just, I always describe it as it's, it's nutrient dense. So we don't have all that like filler in there. That's just basically serving mm-hmm serving no good purpose. It's like everything we're putting into them is going to get utilized for the most part and going to make milk. Yep, absolutely. Well, that's so cool. Okay, I'm glad that you shared all that insight with us. Um, well, that's good. Yeah, so I mean, we've we've touched on a few here. And one question that I always want to leave interviews with is typically, you know, what's one area that you feel we could most improve our crop production in the province? But I'm going to ask you, what are one or two areas that you feel we could most improve our small ruminant nutrition and feeding practices in the province as a whole? Hmm. Yeah, as a team, I think there's, um, like I kind of touched on earlier, there's, um, well, I think there's every area in nutrition, there's always room to grow, right? But I think with sheep in particular, mm-hmm. um, we need to see more sheep specific research. Um, so I guess that kind of like everyone in the industry will take them seriously so that, um, you know, like when one of your growers calls you and says, Hey, like what makes the most sense for dairy sheep? They can say, Oh yeah. Like I read that article, you know, and this is what I'm going to recommend and feel confident about it. Not just kind of say like, Oh, okay. Well, dairy cows. Yeah. Okay. Well, this should work too. You know, um, there, there is a lot of similarities, yeah. but there's also like talked about a lot of differences. So I think just seeing the industry kind of, it's, it's partially a funding issue, of course, but just seeing um, more specific information to sheep come out that, that everyone can have access to so that they can do a good job helping these producers grow their crops or, you know, doing what I'm doing, helping them make milk. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like that research, like you say, I mean, it's expensive and it's time consuming. You know, there's only so much that you yourself can do on a day to day. So Mm -hmm. you're right. I think uh, having some more support on that side of things would go a long way for sure. Yes. And I guess my other, the other thing I wish that there would be more of um, would be, you know, sheep knowledgeable people in the industry. So whether that's, you know, somebody working for a feed company that's specializing in sheep. Not that I want, you know, other people to go do that now, but in other just, parts of the province, um, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, but even like vet, vet clinics, having somebody that, that really does sheep and really knows them so that when you have a new producer startup and he's really looking for help on, you know, vaccination protocols and all kinds of things um, to have somebody that you know, has a keen interest in sheep that can help him is so important. And same with the crops. Um, and I know it's it's not a huge business, so to, to have everybody specialize in sheep would be hard, but just to have that one person that, that really does know the industry and the end goals of the industry to some extent, I, I think is important. Like, I think we we owe it to them, you know. Um, you know, they buy seed, they they buy fertilizer, they buy feed. So I think we we owe it to them to give them um, the information and the resources they need. Yeah, it definitely sounds like something that we need to be paying a bit more attention to, especially, you know, certain geographies, right? Like, obviously, the area that you're in. Now, um, you know, obviously, you haven't been in the industry forever, but in your time, 
how have you seen much growth in the sheep industry and kind of what do you think the outlook looks like there? Is it a growing industry? Yes, I think that there's there's new producers all the time. Um, I'm definitely in a more um, sheep dense area, so I see it. Um, I would say it's growing at a at a steady rate. I don't think that it makes sense for everybody to go out and hire somebody just for sheep. I don't think they'd be busy enough, which is kind of where why I am where I am doing what I'm doing. Um, but I think that it's growing at a steady enough rate um, and a, a safe rate. I mean, you know, like it's not like they're allowing anybody to start milking sheep because then the industry is going to be flooded with product that maybe doesn't have a home. So um, it's a very, a very cautious industry, but I think there's, there's demand for the product. Um, I hear that all the time when I go to these sheep meetings um, from processors. So it's just a matter of, of time. Um, you know, it's not going to be able to just take off, but I would say that we're going to see a lot more of it in the future. Yeah, well, and that's exciting. And, you know, that's, um, it's probably a very exciting place for you to be right now. And um, hopefully it is something that there will be, you know, some more research invested into as that industry continues to grow. Yeah, I think that the reward that I've gotten for kind of putting everything I have and everything I know into sheep um, has been so good that um, it just makes me so passionate about the business and makes me want there to be more resources, more resources for them because, you know, I really care about them succeeding. So I hope that down the line, there's, there's other areas of agriculture that can see this great reward for, for, you know, putting their time and efforts into helping the sheep producers. And I'm sure that a lot of the producers that are working with you are so glad that you feel that way and that you have taken so much time um, and dedication to, you know, do your own research, learn all kinds of new things that you didn't have experience with before on the dairy side of things, just to make their better, their operations better. So I am sure that you're definitely very valued amongst your customer base. So I just want to, um, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I think that you've shared a lot of really valuable information to folks that are, you know, maybe looking at starting up their own business or maybe didn't think that it was possible. But I think it's really cool just to highlight someone that's done it and especially at such a young age and not necessarily with a wealth of experience. So I think that it's just, you know, you put in a lot of hard work and it's really really cool that that's come to fruition for you. Also, I'm so glad that everyone got to learn a little bit about sheep. Who knows, maybe we'll do another podcast one day where we can dive into it a little bit further, but I think this was really a good taste and even really good for me. Just, um, you know, a very good reminder that sometimes I need to kind of broaden my own horizons and my own knowledge base because there's definitely, you know, a place for for every product and we definitely can't can't get stuck in our own box in our own way of thinking <laughs> yeah yeah and I like um I'm glad that you referred to you know hearing that some agronomists wish that they could work more closely with nutritionists um so if any agronomists listening want to um get in contact with me or with I mean just your your farm's nutritionist in general I think it's they would be happy to hear from you because we can all learn something from each other um 
I work very closely with my, my clients' vets, and I wish that I could work just as closely with their agronomists. I think that would help um, full circle and help that farm be even more successful. Absolutely. Well, I think that that's such a good message for everyone and something that people should definitely look into and consider doing. So once again, thank you so, so much. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. For more episodes, please subscribe. You can find updates to new episodes on my Twitter at prosperityag0l.